Hi, everybody. This is Kara Fitzgerald. New Frontiers in Functional Medicine is here every month, bringing you the best minds in functional medicine. And we would not be able to do this over the years without the generous contributions from our sponsors, Metagenics, Integrative Therapeutics, and Biotics Research. The mission of Metagenics is to lead the movement in making personalized nutritional intervention the standard of care in the treatment and prevention of disease and the promotion of optimal health. For over 30 years, Metagenics has been dedicated to scientific discovery, innovative products, unparalleled quality, education, and practitioner partnerships to support lifestyle functional nutrition. For more information, visit Metagenics at metagenics.com. Biotics Research. For four, over 40 years, the foundations of biotics research has been innovation and quality. Their goals remain unchanged. Innovative ideas, carefully researched concepts, and product development with advanced analytical and manufacturing techniques. Biotics nutritional products are of superior quality and effectiveness and available exclusively to healthcare professionals. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com. Integrative Therapeutics is focused on inspiring a better lifestyle through better health. By providing meticulously formulated nutritional supplements and valuable resources, Integrative Therapeutics promises to enrich your patients and embolden your practice. Welcome to your Integrative Therapeutics. Find them at integrativepro.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are... Let me start that again. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay. We're stopping. Take two. Take two. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine. And today is no exception. I'm your host, Dr. Kara Fitzgerald, and with me is Dr. Deanna Minnick. I'm so excited to talk to Deanna today because she's a brilliant mind. She's a real thought leader in functional medicine, and I've known her for years and years and years and have been following her most impressive career. So we're going to do a cool, deep dive into all things phytonutrients and beyond. But let me tell you a little bit about her first. Uh, if you don't already know her, she is a health educator and an author with more than 20 years of experience in nutrition, mind, body, health, and functional medicine. Dr. Minikov's master's and doctorate degrees in nutrition and has lectured extensively throughout the world on health topics, teaching patients and health professionals alike. She is a fellow of the American College of Nutrition, a certified nutrition specialist, and a certified functional medicine practitioner. Uh, Dr. Minnick teaches at the Institute for Functional Medicine and for the Graduate Program in Functional Nutrition at University of Western States. Her passion is bringing forth a colorful, whole self approach to nourishment called Whole Detox and bridging the gaps between science, soul, and art in medicine. Her most recent book is called The Rainbow Diet, A Holistic Approach to Radiant Health Through Foods and Supplements, and that's published by Canary Press and was released this year. Visit her at drdeannaminick.com and we will of course have her links and uh, publications and all sorts of good stuff in the show notes. Deanna, welcome to New Frontiers. Hi Kara, thanks for having me on the show. Yes, I'm thrilled to just be able to spend an hour talking to you and, and picking your gorgeous brain. Um, listen, I was reading your bio before we hopped on the call, and I just wanted to ask you about bridging the gap between science, soul, and art in medicine. And let me just say before you answer that, um, if anybody hasn't seen Deanna's artwork, it's exquisite. Like it's you know when you when I see I follow you <laughs> on social media, and when I see your what you're creating in your in your other life. It's absolutely astonishing, bright, colorful, beautiful, really kind of like the plants we're going to talk to, talk about today. But just talk to me about your passion on bridging these things. Oh, you know, that, that question could form the basis of my whole life, really. Um, you know, back when I was an undergrad, I, I was a nerd, maybe a little bit like you. You and me would have been in the same classes. <laughs> 
you know, I would go to my science classes. I was pre-med and I was really into studying science, learning more about the body and really having that sense of logic. But then there was this other part of me that was craving for kind of this sense of holism rather than the reductionistic approach. I wanted something more literary, artistic. And so I started taking courses like philosophy of language and I took a world religions course and I took an Emily Dickinson course Mm. and before I knew it I had a minor in English literature Mm. and I felt like it was so satisfying because it was completing some part of me it was completing a picture because every time I'd go to the science classes I love them but I didn't feel like that was completely my tribe. And then I'd go over to the English classes with a lot of more hippie-esque people and artistic, creative types. And I felt like, you know, this is cool, but they're not 100% my tribe either. And I kind of felt like I was between both of them. I was the science nerd, and I was also this kind of creative, artistic-minded person. And so I think from a young age, I've always been like this, Kara. It's always been that I've seen both sides. It's almost like the the left and the right hemispheres of the brain. I, I really feel like for me to get the most out of life, I have to join them together. And so that has been my approach to everything that I now do. Mm. And it's really aesthetic. I mean, your website, I've complimented you on that numerous times. I mean, there's a really strong aesthetic to what you're doing. When did you start creating art? Well, that's a whole other story. Um, I I, um, never set out to create any art. Um, My brother was an artist and was actually went to school to study art. I know that we have an artistic streak in our family, but um, I think for me, I was going through some emotional depression, anxiety in my late 20s. And I don't know, I, I one weekend I went up to the art store and I bought this big roll of paper. I bought a bunch of uh, acrylic paints and I came home and I rolled out the paper. I had to have everything big and bright. I don't know why, but it was like, I didn't want just a small drawing pad. I just rolled out this paper and I spent the whole afternoon, I put my hair in a ponytail. I had sweatpants on. I put music on really loud and I just started painting and I painted. It was kind of funny because it was like this amoeba. It was a huge, long, like a microorganism. It was red and yellow with a black outline. And I remember feeling so invigorated by this painting and I put it up on my wall. And, you know, I, I think from there, whenever I started feeling emotional, the thing that I felt called to do, you know, like some people go for a run, some people call a friend. I think for me, my coping strategy was let's get paper out and use color. And there was a turning point in my life. I don't even know if you know this story about me, but um, I had a lot of reproductive health issues. I had endometriosis. I had a hydrocell pinks or a blocked fallopian tube on my left side. And it was kind of strange because here I am talking about women's health with health professionals of all types. I'm talking about nutrition. I'm trying to heal myself with nutrition. But there was a missing piece And I do think that that turning on my creative genes changed my whole life. And it was my husband, Mark, who one Saturday night as I'm painting, he looks over my shoulder and he says to me, Deanna, I think you're painting your ovaries and your uterus over and over again. (laughs) And I was, I was. I'm actually really grateful that Mark mentioned that because um, once he said that and I could see what he was saying, I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, you know, maybe my body is expressing. Then I did this whole series of my uterus where I did menstruation, I did... um, perimenopause, I did, you know, just all of these phases of the uterus, not just mine, but just in general, really getting into that feminine space. Uh And every year I would go back to my gynecologist and get scanned um, because we had to keep a check on that hydrocell pings because it was filling up with fluid more and more every year. Um, And so after all this painting, I did a gallery exhibit. It was one August um, some years ago. And I went back into the gynecologist shortly after that she did the scan and she said, um, your hydrocell pinks has completely cleared up and your uterus looks beautiful. And those are her exact words. Your uterus looks beautiful. At which point I started crying on the table, which was in the darkness and I'm in a very uncomfortable position. Yeah. And, you know, she just was talking. She's like, what did you do? 
and I said, do you really want to know? Because, you know, she knew I was into nutrition and I was taking supplements and I was doing all these different things. I was doing all this kind of fancy pants, kind of abdominal massage and body work. I was doing, I mean, you name it, I was doing it. Um, But when I told her about the painting, she just smiled and she said, keep doing what you're doing. Jeez, mm, wow. That's a great story. And um, so you were doing lots of nutrition. Yeah, I mean, you had to be in serious pain. And- yeah, you know, and um, for a while, I didn't even know I had the hydrocell pinks. Um, it was, um, yeah, discovered through an ultrasound. I started to have some discomfort in my left side. And I thought it was just my bowels, you know? You know how sometimes you just kind of feel like, oh, that'll pass. Um, but yeah, it didn't. And um, we have a lot of reproductive issues in, um, in my family uh, with my aunts. Just, you know, it's just something I thought, okay, I, I'm just wired. And, but, you know, the, the idea of the fact that we can change our lives and what we're destined to perhaps become through our changes. And I never thought that creativity mm-hmm. would have entered in. And so when you asked me, hey, Deanna, what do you mean with science, soul, art, and medicine? To me, that was like, intellectually, I knew it back when I was in college. But personally, mm-hmm. I had this revelation through my own health crises, especially in my late 20s and into my 30s. And then I thought, I need to bring this to the world. I see color through foods. I can see that when people eat better foods, they have a more colorful life. And there's science to support this. I mean, the food and mood connection is real. You've got the Lancet talking about it. You've got New England Journal of Medicine. I just don't know how we we get this message out to a broader reach so that people realize that the best way to be happy is really to be eating these colorful foods. And I, and I think more than anything else, people want happiness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Guys, that's really beautiful. So you had adopted this, these massive lifestyle changes and dietary changes, but then it also took sort of manifesting it in your creative space as well. That was the culmination of whole being healing for you. Is that what I'm hearing? Definitely. Wow. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And your artwork's amazing, actually. I I can't wait until you make some prints or something. I would love one of your pieces on my wall. Can people access, can listening audience, they're going to want to go and check your artwork out. Like, where can they see it? Do you have anything posted? (laughs) Or is it just like... You know, this is crazy, but um, I have this thing where... um, Sometimes, like you mentioned, I'll post it on my social media pages, and I never set out to do anything, though, for anybody, because I feel like once it has the confines of I'm being commissioned to make something, I don't feel like it's emotionally flowing, and so, but I have posted it, and I've had um, people approach me and ask if they could buy the artwork, and so currently, I've got a number of my pieces hanging in clinics. (laughs) Oh. One clinic here in Gig Harbor, Washington, and then um, somebody just recently bought one of my large pieces. She has it at her clinic in uh, in Texas, and then a couple of other pieces in other places. But um, yeah, I mean, I, that's like the highest goal if, is to have art for the sake of healing, right? So it makes me feel really good that um, the spirit of whatever that came forth as is now in in a clinic somewhere and helping people yeah it's beautiful stuff well listen if you're so inclined to let us post one on the show notes i would love it um, ah all right sure yeah, that would be great okay so in on the colorful co- uh, conversation here let's just continue about and let's talk about these amazing beautiful phytonutrients that you've been studying so carefully and then manifesting in your artwork you do preach eating a rainbow. So, you know, what is it? You know, are we actually successfully doing it? Am I as a clinician prescribing this idea of rainbow eating? I mean, I'd like to think I do, but I think there's a little more going on from your vantage point. So talk about it. Yeah, I I think that I first want to give um, really acknowledgement to some of my mentors and teachers that have turned me on to phytonutrients. And the first one is Dr. Phyllis Bowen, who was my graduate advisor at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Uh, And my whole master's thesis was on carotenoids. And so I was in the lab for three years 
measuring things like lycopene, beta carotene, lutein, you know, there are actually hundreds, several hundreds of carotenoids, close to 700, but yet we really only hear about a handful. And it's, it's usually the ones that I mention. And even the USDA nutrient database doesn't go into the complexity of all of the different carotenoids that are in foods. But really, that's what's making plant foods colorful as we're looking at them outside. You know, the, the leaves on trees and how they change color in, in the season, during the seasons. I mean, that is due to the carotenoids. So Dr. Phyllis Bowen and Dr. Claire Hassler um, really led the way with functional foods and really um, looking at carotenoids for human health. And Dr. John Erdman was part of that. So that was part of my academic life. My PhD was on essential fatty acids. So I kind of moved away from the phytonutrients, but I was always seeing that there was such a great blend between carotenoids and fatty acids because the carotenoids, most of them to varying degrees are fat soluble. So I was, I was always thinking like, why isn't a dietary supplement company coming out with a essential fatty acid blend together with a mixed spectrum of carotenoids because to me that would be like <laughs> from a scientific and medical point of view that would be the ultimate and so that was just putting together my my uh, degree minds away from school and when I got into the working world I began working with Jeff Bland who we all know and love um, father of functional medicine and I worked with him at a company called Metagenics for 10 years and I was at Really, you know, I had the honor of being uh, in research meetings with Jeff and um, really, you know, you talk about tapping into people's brains. I mean, goodness, it was such a gift to be alongside him and even traveling and speaking with him for all those years. And one of the things that he tapped into and really brought forward again for me after my graduate work was this whole idea of phytonutrients as cell signaling agents. In fact, uh, that was the impetus for much of the research that we started doing at the company. And Jeff and I, and this, this could be an article I provide to you, Kara, um, we wrote a review article on phytonutrients and metabolic syndrome in nutrition reviews in 2008. And that was kind of like my first where I got really deep. Not only was I experiencing it through the research and the things that we were doing with different um, phytonutrients and different pathways, but now I'm writing this review. I'm looking into the different uh, cell signaling agents for metabolic syndrome. And what we're seeing is that, you know, so many of these phytonutrients have pleiotropic effects. So it's not even like you're just hammering on one pathway within the cell. There are these modulating effects. One of the things I learned from Jeff was that phytonutrients, much like they work in nature, it's better to have many of them in smaller amounts, that also comes from Bruce Ames, mm -hmm. than it is to just hammer a pathway similar to a pharmaceutical with one agent that can either turn something on or off. But what I learned from Jeff was we need many colors, we need a spectrum, and we need a variety. And that kind of set me on this whole thing of, okay, this is interesting because it's kind of coinciding with my experience of color it's coinciding what I learned about carotenoids and just in terms of my psychosocial, um, psychological interests with spirituality, it was all syncing up. So then I thought, this is it. This is what I'm going to champion. I am not a dietary dogma person. I am not into being a keto girl or a paleo woman or, you know, vegan. I mean, I've tried all of those approaches in my own ways. Uh, and I think that they're all valid for different people at different stages, depending on what they need therapeutically. But for me, what I feel like is the underbelly of all of it mm -hmm. is colorful food. And if we're not even hitting on that cylinder, it's, it's almost like that's defying the principle of nature, which is complexity, diversity, and variety through these pigments that we have ubiquitously found on the planet. Really? Was I, wait, did I just answer your question? You <laughs> just did. realizing, did I, you asked me about eating a rainbow, so I'm, I'm giving you some context around how that emerged. <laughs> it's, <great. laughs> it's so funny. I was, I, I, I forgot what my question was. I was just uh, swept up in your, in your story. Great, great story. I guess, so 700 carotenoids, you know, they work in concert, you know, it takes the, sym the symphony. I, I'm curious, you and I were dialoguing about this earlier too, like, what are these, what are they doing in nature? 
Like, tell, just give me a little background of the extraordinary action of them in plants. And then I want to talk about what they're doing in people and, you know, the various colors that you advocate and so forth. Yeah, well, I can make it pretty easy. And they are serving as protective agents. Protective and also modulating. They do have functional roles. One of the things that um, people think when they think of carotenoids, they think, oh, they're just antioxidants. And to me, antioxidants is a very 1990s way of thinking about nutrients. Yes, they, they surely are protective in the way of establishing redox balance within a plant. But they also have functional roles. So what we're learning, and this is to me the more exciting piece of, of all of it, is that not only are they um, protective, they're antioxidants, um, they have cell signaling aspects to them, down to the DNA, they have epigenetic modification uh, roles. But here's the cool part for me. I think the fact that they embed into certain parts of the body, of our human bodies. So here's one thing that many people don't realize, and I have an interest in this just because I've had so many fertility and reproductive issues, but there are several carotenoids found in the ovary. And in fact, if we think of the corpus luteum, and we translate that into yellow body. Well, why is it yellow? Why does it become corpus albicans through the process of ovulation? Well, it's because of the, the concentration of carotenoids and retinol. And many of these carotenoids, by the way, are pro-vitamin A compounds. So like beta carotene has great efficiency in converting to vitamin A. Uh, it, and it also, it's worthwhile to note that there are certain SNPs in, in the body and certain genes that we need to be aware of that don't have proper, that don't allow us for that proper conversion and kind of diverging onto that. But, you know, there's so much that goes into that actual reaction, but that is one of the roles. And I think that um, if you look at gene expression and how certain processes in the body are controlled, even ovulation is a very highly... Uh, genetically controlled process and some of that process is driven through the presence the localization of carotenoids and beta carotene is just one you know there was a cool study showing that um, I just love this I mean it's just how everything all comes together uh, not too long ago I'd have to find the reference now it's not um, top of mind but it was just I think in April of this year there was a study showing that women that were eating more orange colored fruits primarily it was citrus, uh, had a lower risk of endometriosis. And as they started to look at why is that, is it because citrus fruits tend to contain more of these pro-vitamin A carotenoids? What they found was that there was one carotenoid that seemed to be mostly responsible, and it was called, many people don't know this carotenoid, but it's called beta-cryptoxanthin. Mm -hmm. So when you start looking at beta-cryptoxanthin and where do you find it? Well, it's found in, you know, so many different fruits. It's not just citrus, but you find it in persimmons and tangerines. In fact, I just posted this. I just did a blog on orange foods and reproductive health. And um, because this is not the only study, there was another study showing that if you eat more of these orange colored fruits that you can reduce ovarian decline by a little bit more than a year when you look cumulatively. Wow. So there is something about these carotenoids being, back to your question, you know, what are they doing in nature? What are they doing in our bodies? Yeah, they're protective. And um, that's what we learned in the 1990s as a lot of this research was emerging. But now what we're learning is that they have genomic roles, they have structural and functional roles. And um, I, I just think it's very interesting how the body concentrates certain plant compounds in certain places of the body. I mean, the obvious one is lutein. People know about age-related macular degeneration and concentration of lutein in the back of the eye. But many people don't realize the, the one about beta carotene and the 14 different carotenoids in the ovary, or and they don't realize that when you start eating plant-based, highly pigmented foods, you can change your skin color. Usually people think, oh, if I have too many carrots, the palms of my, my hands and the soles of my feet will turn orange, but they don't realize that you actually change the dynamics of the skin. Uh, there's also a correlation with breast tissue. I mean, any of the fatty tissues of the body, anywhere where there is fat, which is every place, 
you're going to have carotenoids. I was just looking at some literature last night about lutein. And lutein is really up and coming as it relates to, you know, usually we think of the eye, but now what they're showing is that there's a correlation between lutein levels and cognition. Mm. And by assessing the pigmentation of the eye, which can be done, that macular density can be assessed through certain instruments, it correlates to some degree to the level of cognition. So if we're thinking of cognitive decline, we really do need to be thinking about these carotenoids. It's just, it's really cool. Really neat work that you're doing. Uh, so how are you, how, how are you prescribing eating a rainbow then? And I would assume that you're leaning on different carotenoids for different indications, depending on what you're addressing. <laughs> I'd love to get to that point because um, that's that's the ultimate. Uh, and I do think that what's going to happen is we're going to have what uh, has been referred in the literature to as um, phytoprofiling. So when we understand the nature of all these different carotenoids and other phytonutrients, and we didn't even talk about flavonoids or phenolic acids or sulfur-containing phytonutrients, you know, there are so many. We're just, I'm really just drilling into carotenoids right now, but there are so many. I mean, it's projected that there are probably 25,000 different phytonutrients in nature, and I don't even think we, we know that true number. I think that's the tip of the iceberg, quite honestly. So I do think, Kara, that eventually what we're going to be able to do is assess somebody's phytonutrient status with a number mm -hmm. and maybe it's with a scanner because you know these kinds of biophotonic scanners are out there which are looking at just very um you know basic biophotonic measurements and you know it's looking at carotenoid um, density usually in the palm of the hand but that's not really widespread it would be nice to get to the, the point where we can personalize and say okay you need these orange carotenoids because of this um, but for the most part when you ask me clinically what do I do I first have to start with the basics, and that is just to assess at a very foundational level, what colors are people eating? And, and that's why I can really appreciate when we were working on the IFM Diet, Nutrition, and Lifestyle Journal. We were doing this way back some years ago, and um, Christy Hughes and others were also really seeing that phytonutrients needed to be a cornerstone of all the IFM materials. Mm -hmm. And so we put that into that diet, nutrition, and lifestyle journal form, right? So that people could do a conscious checking off of the different colors that they're eating. Mm -hmm. So I think first and foremost is awareness. You know, people have to know that there's a spectrum. And on one side of the spectrum, you get all the good, healthy colors. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you know, I've also worked for a large fortune 100 food manufacturer and i know that companies understand the lure of colors too so we're not even talking about the toxic colors but aside from naturally occurring pigments i also need to work with clients on how do you move away from the toxic colors that you're really keyed into in a lot of the the processed foods right so sometimes it's just awareness. You know, one quick exercise that I've done in groups just to get people aware and, and um, tuned into color because so many people, they're, they're quite educated. They're reading lots of blogs or listening to lots of podcasts. And so when they come to you, they're expecting all this sophistication. And it's almost like just this, this woman I was seeing yesterday, she's on about 15 supplements. She's been tracking, I mean, she's remarkable because she has um, logged everything. And so she has been on about five different dietary patterns. And what she's been trying to do is merge them all together. So now she's basically eating like five foods. <laughs> she's not, she's hardly eating anything and she's taking a bunch of supplements. And I'm like, you know, wait a minute, let's, and she's not having fun. You know, when I'm seeing her, she's dressed all in black. Her hair is black. You know, she just kind of has this pallor. I, I look at everything, right? And so just like you, you know, skin, nails, hair, how is a person presenting to me? And she's just kind of lackluster and she's got lots of pain and she's just not having a colorful life. And I think sometimes we have to, and she's very sophisticated in her understanding because she's been trying to chase after her condition for about five years. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, you know, yesterday we had just a basic conversation about, okay, let's, let's bring back a little bit of the fun. Let's just look at 
colors that you're eating first and figure out how we can give you more variety. Because to me, what I've seen from the literature and what I've known just in experience is that variety in food, otherwise known as dietary diversity, leads to resilience in the body. And so if she's down to like five foods, that means like nil resilience. And what about her microbiome? What about the ability to get all these phytonutrients in their complexity to help her with cell signaling? So I think that there's a happy medium there. I think we do have to assess, allow people to become aware, have fun again with food, take that diet, nutrition, and lifestyle journal, or anything. Just take a piece of paper, write down the foods, and put put uh, color lines right through every food and just look at it. Like, okay, what am I having? Because it's been estimated that... Um, Well, this is a number that goes back to 2009, but eight out of 10 Americans have a phytonutrient gap. And more recent literature, and I think this was put out by the CDC last year in November, that only one out of 10 Americans is meeting their fruit and vegetable requirement. And that leaves nine out of 10 that are not. So, um, and what do we count as fruits and vegetables typically? Well, uh, and as they go on in that paper, you know, talking about potatoes and ke- I mean, so we, we need the nutrient dense foods as well and to learn how to make those choices. And sometimes it's a simple shift. It's a simple, you know, you're at the grocery store and it's like, do I go after the iceberg lettuce or do I go for the spinach? Right. Or, you know, simple things like that. And, and I didn't even have that aha moment until some years ago, clinically, when I started asking clients to send me pictures of their food. Because I had this one client who had all kinds of inflammation, all kinds of autoimmune issues, but she would have salads. And so I, I couldn't understand just by listening to what she was eating, how she could not be taking in anti-inflammatory phytonutrient-dense food. So I asked her to send me some pictures. She, she sent me a picture of one of her salads, and it was iceberg lettuce with a tomato that was cubed and um, one of the, a, a carrot stick on the side. And then I got it. I was like, you know what? People are not really getting phytonutrient density. They are not making the highest choice. They don't even realize what the higher choices would be. Right. Right. <laughs> well, you... You've unpacked quite a bit there, Deanna. <laughs> um, just really nice points. And I like, you know, I, we, I think we're all seeing in functional medicine folks coming to us who've whittled themselves down to um, extremely limited diets. And uh, there, can, there can be a lot of anxiety in the journey towards expanding diet. They're, they're concerned that they're going to react and you know there's a lot of rationale and there's certainly all sorts of conversations on the web about why certain foods are bad and, da, 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 da. and you know I don't I, I, I think that a lot of what's said is is debatable or it's you know needs to be more individualized but anyway my point regarding this woman is talking to her from the vantage point of color you know getting off of the whole idea of you know, what's good, what's not, what's reactive, what's an intolerant, what's a lectin, you know, what's antigenic, and just simply, you know, what are the colors? What pops with you when you go into the produce section of the grocery? I mean, it just it's, it's an interesting way to approach expanding the diet. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this content, you might want to know about our functional medicine clinic immersion programs available to all qualified practitioners who want to advance their applied clinical skills and build confidence in helping even their toughest cases. Delivered fully online, our program provides live mentorship option, access to our clinic's discussions of real patient cases, teach-ins with expert colleagues, and the opportunity to become part of an engaged and nurturing community of peers. Most importantly, you'll get the support you need to bridge the gap between functional medicine theory and practice. Spaces for a one-year mentorship option are limited, so early application is advised. Please visit drcarafitzgerald.com, choose the Professionals tab, and select Professional Education Programs to find out more about the options available and to apply. And now back to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine. Exactly. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because um, sometimes it's like the telescope microscope approach. Like we have become so in the ditch of all the details and she has so much fear that 
when I was talking with her yesterday, I was thinking, oh my gosh, she's, she's all dressed in black. She is not having, like, she's not smiling a lot. Like, I just felt like food is such a great way to infuse fun. And so, yeah, to ask about the colors, what do you like? And usually when I'm teaching about the rainbow diet to people, I do assign kind of a color code. But you were asking me before, how do I personalize the carotenoids? I have started to more or less see each color as coinciding with certain functions. So, for example, red, anti-inflammatory, which is really interesting because red is usually connected to inflammation. And there are some studies to suggest that eating red-colored plant-based foods can help to quell inflammation and, uh, and help the immune system. What is it about the red pigments, the red phytonutrients? So there, there are many different things, uh, actually. You know, we can think about a carotenoid like uh, lycopene. There is also the anthocyanins. Astaxanthin is part of the carotenoids as well. But then I also started to um, look into red foods as to, like, what are some of these red foods high in? And what's really interesting to me was that a number of red foods happen to be high in vitamin C, so like even acerola cherry, like if you go to um, the USDA nutrient database and you just do a search for high vitamin C containing foods and you'll come up with a list. And when I looked at the list, I was seeing this pattern of like, wow, vitamin C supports the adrenals. We are focused on the immune system protection, reducing inflammation. And so it's not like it all fits neatly into a box, but you know, Dr. Dave Heber from UCLA years ago wrote this book called The Color Code. And I really, for some reason, it was really interesting to me at the time. Uh, and I can kind of see where he was going with certain things. And, and now as I look at the science of red foods, inflammation, you know, whether it's looking at strawberries helping with uh, improving pain for people that have knee osteoarthritis or tomato juice reducing systemic inflammation. I mean, this kind of stuff is out there. And so when people hear of the nature of the different colors and then the symptoms that they have, that's also one way to drill deeper. So of course, you know, orange with fertility <laughs> and reproductive health, as I've already explained. Yeah. I talk about yellow and the digestive tract uh, in terms and, of the... <laughs> yeah, go ahead. And why is that? Yeah, in terms of um, if you look at some of the, the citrus or more acidic foods, um, helping with metabolic efficiency. So, you know, there are, there are some studies on that looking at um, how certain phytonutrients can help with beijing. So the process of moving from white to brown fat, creating more heat, thermogenic activity in the body, metabolic, um, again, efficiency and flexibility. There's, there's a little bit of that. Green is very compelling as it relates to the heart, the cardiovascular system, and, and many other systems too, but what I see as it relates to green and the heart is, and, and sometimes, Kara, I, I will speak a little bit more storytale-like with people. I'll kind of tap into my English literature side, and I'll talk about greens. You know, let's look at the greens, and, you know, they're expansive, they're leafy, they're reaching out. We want your blood vessels to open wide. I don't have to use words like vasodilate or, you know, we're going to produce more nitric oxide in order to make your blood vessels expand. I can talk about it in ways that hopefully will tickle their right hemisphere of their brain so that they will key into that in a way that is memorable, right? And, and so that's what I think of with leafy green um, is I think of nitrates. I think of vitamin K, which I, I believe in some ways is like the next vitamin D. And it's such an integral component to the vasculature. I think of folates. Um, and in fact, um, what I tell clients oftentimes is if you can get green foods, you're actually getting some rainbow foods. And the reason why, and I just put together, just recently put together a chart on this, where you can see all the different types of plant foods and what pigments they contain. So some pigments are pretty obvious. You look at a red bell pepper and you see red, but there are other pigments that you don't see that are underneath that. So you could be getting lutein from a red bell pepper and you are, but you just don't know that. Like you could be getting lutein from kale, but you can't see the yellow, but you're actually getting that. So Usually I'm telling people that in order to hit your rainbow target, 
at least for me, start with green because green has a lot of layers underneath the surface. So you're actually not just getting that chlorophyll that sits at the top of the leaf, mm-hmm. but you're getting underneath that a complex array of carotenoids that are going to really be protective. Got it. So would you say, okay, so start with greens and that has the most, the, the broadest complement of carotenoids, generally speaking, present in it, these green leafies? Yes, from what I have seen in the literature and putting together this chart, um, that's where you get the biggest bang for your buck is to go with um, greens. Uh, just recently, I, I put out a newsletter looking at how do you get red, orange, and yellow. And when I looked at the USDA nutrient database, there were five foods that contained all of those colors. Um, maybe I can give you that list yeah, from yeah. Your show notes. But um, yeah, there are, there are these... These, these main ones, they're asparagus, carrots, red bell peppers, red cabbage, rutabagas, and tomatoes. And look, not one of those, well, except for asparagus, is really green. Um, but you get red, orange, and yellow specifically. You get a bigger bang for your nutrient buck um, with these foods. You're getting a, a wider complement of colors. Now, I'm not speaking to the actual concentration of carotenoids. I'm just talking about the diversity of them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But it doesn't sound like, as you stated earlier, we necessarily need to swim in a given carotenoid, but we want a complement of many. Yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. Listen, I, gotta, I have to circle back to the statement you made regarding yellow colored foods. We're going from white fat to brown fat. <laughs> <laughs> Beijing, yes. <laughs> All right. So prescribe me a collection of yellow foods that are going to turn this um, white fat <laughs> well, we actually have we have a nice blog on this. I'm going to send it to you because sure. actually in a conversation with Jeff Bland that um, he leaned over the table and he says, you know about Beijing, right? <laughs> and I said, I said, uh, I know about brown fat. I know about white fat. Um, but this concept of Beijing, and he was right, it is a newer concept. Usually people are like, oh, yeah, I know about that. But the literature only started appearing in like 2016. So we went into some of the literature on some of the warming type of um, the heat producing uh, phytonutrients that actually do that. So I'll send it to you because it's still more in cell models than in animal models. This is not like um, human clinical trial level yet, but I think it's um, still an interesting idea to be looking at these thermogenic dietary factors and how they can really shift our metabolic efficiency. Yeah. Well, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we were actually just putting on the map that, you know, adults can even have um, fat other than white. You know, right. That, that right. Was, that's that's a, a new concept that we were And that about. only babies in the back of their yeah. necks had this brown fat. You know, it was right. such an esoteric thing. And yeah. I just love it that, you know, I feel like the 21st century is the time of dismantling old archaic dogma that is so like we have stopped questioning and i think this is really good because this is a truth-telling time we're getting into questioning everything yes well and and i could say you know if we were going to form some rule about it which we probably don't want to it would be that which we thought we knew or anything that we dismiss is probably not something you know to dismiss like the so-called junk dna or right appendix does or you know any myriad of um, of uh, ideas, the microbiome, for that matter. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not that long ago that 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 we started to uh, uncover the fact that it was extremely relevant. Although there are science scientists going way back who recognized it, but I think that they were, you know, they were outliers. They um, were absolutely, absolutely. Okay, let's. T- I want to talk a little bit more about the color. Um, so green for heart, and then you talked about some of these, and, and also too, it's, it's diversity, but if you're going to land somewhere with the patient, you're going to kind of keep it simple with people you're working with, or for my own shopping, um, yeah, it, it, I'm going to lean heavier on, on greens. And you got gonna- it, exactly, exactly. Um, and, and let me mention this for the more um, sophisticated uh, folks out there too. So first and foremost, on a very basic level, I do have a checklist. I give people, um, I've, for some people I move away from having them write down everything because they've already done that and they do that well and I don't need to like have all this um, 
vigilance with them. I'm really just looking at colors. So I do have what I call a rainbow food tracker. So there's that. And then um, moving more into looking at just even labs because certain labs can tell you about, and it's unfortunate, but we don't have very good, in my opinion, I don't think that we have very good labs to assess what somebody's uh, systemic phytonutrient levels are. We just don't. So we have to infer from whether it's oxidative stress markers, we're looking at levels of vitamins, minerals, and the best yeah. sometimes we can do is just looking at beta carotene, which is nothing. Yeah. Right. That's right. You know? Well, I was going to ask you that. Is it, I mean, it really can't be a surrogate marker for all the other carotenoids. No, it's not. It's yeah. absolutely not. And, and um, again, we don't know what the body is doing with beta carotene. Is it converting it to vitamin A? Is it storing it somewhere? Because a lot of these carotenoids are fat soluble, they're sequestered. So we're not typically seeing them always in circulation. And I know that in a number of nutrition research papers, and even during my graduate work, one of the ways that we could assess compliance to a plant-based diet was to look at carotenoids in the blood. Mm -hmm. Looking at serum carotenoids, it was a measure of compliance. But then how do you choose which carotenoids? And, you know, again, I think um, nutrition, the reason why it's we've had such mixed opinions in nutrition is because we haven't always embraced the complexity and the wholeness of it. So just looking at beta carotene as your mother compound and not looking at all the others, I just, again, I, I feel like it's, um, it gets into this incomplete picture. Mm -hmm. and, right. and then you even, you, you had asked me before we got on the call about supplementation. I, I just want to say something quickly here about that if I can, because, mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, it reminds me of the haunting time when I was defending my thesis, when I, one of my professors asked me about that study, that the Finnish smoker study in high doses of beta carotene, right, yeah. and how that led to greater rates of lung cancer. There was an increased rate of lung cancer in those people that supplemented with, with beta carotene. So some people right. will say to me, but what about the pro-oxidant nature of these carotenoids? And I must tell you that um, in the literature, when I look at it, there have been studies where I do see that these carotenoids have two different personalities depending on the environment that we're bathing them in. Yeah. So yeah, let's just say we have a, a person who has a greater toxic load. They're smoking, they're, they've got heavy metal burden, they've got, um, they're using personal care products with all kinds of fatty endocrine disruptors that are in those products. And now let's just say that um, they're eating poorly they go and take a supplement filled mm -hmm. with carotenoids. Do we think that that could really have a good outcome? Uh, I don't think so because, um, again, getting at that foundational level, the carotenoids don't work in isolation either. And they can act as pro-oxidants under certain low oxygen conditions, under certain levels where there's a heightened amount of free radicals like anything else I mean they're sinkholes they have lots of carbon-carbon um, double bonds so these things can just go and and start to propagate more free radicals under the right conditions I don't want to make people fearful of carotenoids but it is about kind of the whole picture and again reframing it within that and so when I see supplements with high doses of beta carotene in isolation uh, it makes me nervous. Mm -hmm. I, I really do advocate to clinicians and to clients it, that it's really important to have mixed carotenoids within a base of fat and with other nutrients. Mm -hmm. uh, and ideally, I want to see that mixed carotenoid breakout. I want to see, because usually, if you start looking into that a little bit deeper, what you find is that it's mostly going to be beta carotene and just a little bit of all the other things. So mm -hmm. it'd be nice... Yeah to find a company who has um, kind of a smattering, like a nice even smattering of these different carotenoids. And you know what's yeah. a great counterpart to the carotenoids are the tocotrienols. Mm -hmm. I love the tocotrienols. And you know, there are eight isomers of vitamin E. We usually focus on DL-alpha-tocopherol, just like the standard supplemental form. But if we could have those eight isomers of vitamin E, which are lipophilic, combined with the carotenoids, combined with essential fatty acids, you can already yeah. see like how I'm creating this yeah. awesome dietary supplement. <laughs> well, I get what you're saying. So in that particular study, that was a big disruptive study that everybody paused and had to analyze and chew over. Um, uh, it, so it, into this oxidative environment, so into these, lung these uh, smokers, 
long-term smokers. Like these are lifelong aged smokers. They were like in their 50s and 60s. And they introduced just beta carotene. Although I think there was a study with E as well, but it was a really limited. Right. Um, and it was probably one form of vitamin E. Could it have even been the synthetic? Who knows? It could well, have been I think the beta carotene form. was actually a synthetic beta carotene. But yeah. but what you're but what you're saying just to kind of tease it out was, uh, since the antioxidants works to work together, since these carotenoids that are beyond antioxidants, I really appreciate how you're challenging limiting them to that term. But if you are dealing, if you are, if they these are put into an oxidative environment and you don't have the full symphony of nutrients, so a, you know a multitude of carotenoids, and then the, you know, and then the vitamin, the different vitamin E isomers, and then the fatty acids. So if you don't have the symphony of events, the standalone high dose synthetic or even natural single beta, beta carotene could be problematic, could be oxidative, right? You That's summarized it beautifully. Yeah. And I love that word that you use symphony because it really is in that way, right? I mean, mm -hmm. they really all do balance. It's just like when we think of glutathione synthesis and regeneration, it's not like one compound. That's like vitamin E, selenium, yeah. uh, you know, so many things working together in order to regenerate and create that. And the same yeah. thing has to happen with carotenoids. They are regenerated. You yeah. know, they're just like any other compound. I thought, I, I've often thought about quenching oxidation as like playing that hot potato game, you know, where one compound hangs onto it and it gets hot and they pass it. So this is the, this is this um, unpaired electron getting bopped around by multiple um, nutrients that are able to kind of tone it down, but together they quench it and, you know, balance it. That's a really good analogy. That's exactly right. Yeah, hot potato. And it is kind of a hot potato, right, with all of the reactive um, electrons. Well, okay. So I wanted to just circle back. I two, we're, we're sort of we're heading on the home stretch, but I just I wanted to ask you, I do want you to talk a little bit about supplements and your thoughts around supplements because I know that you use them and, you know, you've written about them plenty of times. But I just wanted to get an idea on some of your fabulous blue and purple foods. And this is especially because I've been like, I've been binging on blueberries because they're in season right now and they're <laughs> so good here. <laughs> and, oh. and what they're, you know, what we're leaning on those for. And then yep. let's talk a little bit about supplements and we'll wrap Okay. Up. Okay. And I want to sneak in there a device that um, I think you would be really interested in knowing your love of devices and diagnostics. So I'll just sneak that in quickly. Um, Okay, yeah, blue-purple foods, um, what I correlate them to based on the literature is the brain, cognition, memory, and mood. And if you think about it, there are not a lot of blue-purple foods. There's a short list. Like when I exhausted all the different foods and made lists of these things in my Rainbow Diet book, green, of course, was the longest list. Mm. Blue-purple is the shortest. Mm. And um, so whenever you see blue-purple, you should take it. So if you see, my happiest day is when I walk into the, the grocery store and I see purple um, broccoli. We actually have that here in the Pacific Northwest or some, probably in other areas too. I, I haven't uh -huh. seen it in other areas, but whenever I see purple broccoli, I'm like almost screaming in the store with joy because that's like, I get all the colors now. <laughs> So um, choose purple whenever. And the science here, I mean, gosh, I've done like whole one hour webinars just on the science of blue purple foods because um, there's probably, when we look at all the colors aside from green, there's a preponderance of blue purple food data and all those things that I mentioned. So, and, and these are human clinical trials. These aren't even just looking at cell studies or in vitro, or, or I'm sorry, animal. This is looking at... <laughs> blueberries improving cognition in people and not even just older people with cognitive issues. We're even looking at how things like purple grape juice can improve cognition and mood in young people. Mm. And usually, and I've worked in this whole cognitive area before and did some research here. And one of the things that I learned from that experience was that it was really hard to improve somebody's cognition who did not have impaired cognition. But we always, I, I would think that all of us feel in some way like we'd always want to feel better and think better uh, and that we're not always a hundred percent and so these studies are there have been a few looking even at um, young 
healthy adults, not even diseased adults, young healthy adults showing improvements in attention, making them calmer just through purple grape juice. Um, blackberries are another one. So I, I'm pretty excited by purple just because of, um, so, and how does it work mechanistically? Yeah, like, yeah. You know, basically what I can see is um, now we're not talking about carotenoids. We're talking about a different class of phytonutrients and probably a bunch of other things too, of course. But primarily I think of anthocyanins and I think of phenolics. These tend to be high and very dense in these blue purple foods. And what these phytonutrients tend to do is they are, um, they, they change platelet aggregation, they change uh, circulation, they open up blood vessels similar to the nitrates. They also have, um, goodness, you know, just a number of different things in terms of antioxidant effects. Again, pleiotropic effects. Plants don't work in one way. They're, they're doing multiple things simultaneously, which makes them even more worth us having them. Mm -hmm. And in variety. And a variety, yeah, you, I'm so glad that you're taking that away is, is the key because that's what, you know, I, I talk with my family and my sister who has a four-year-old now, um, and I'm always asking, like, did Ellie get her rainbow smoothie and what, what color? <laughs> she can't stand this about me, right? And she's like, you know, I eat tomatoes. And I'm like, Bren, that's not like the only red food. You know, you have to diversify within red. And so, like, even with her four-year-old, when she comes to see her Auntie D. You know, we make a rainbow smoothie and she gets to see how when she puts all the colors in there and um, she really loves purple. What made me think of this whole thing was purple mm -hmm. and how, um, you know, again, the, the color of that and kids is so important. There is a device. I'm just going to segue into this um, mm -hmm. because I know we're going to have to wrap up soon. And I do want to tell you about this. And I haven't talked with you in a while. And I think you'd want to know about this. And I can send you a link. You can put it in your show notes. Okay. Um, so I'm always looking out there for devices that can assess phytonutrients, right? So I've looked at the biophotonic scanner kind of a thing. And the closest thing, and I kept having this vision of what if we take our smartphone and we can scan foods or we can scan our finger and that'll tell us our carotenoid level. So I've been doing, I mean, I'm not the engineer to kind of do that. So I'm just looking for groups that are working on it. And there is a device out there that has emerged that I've been following and it, they finally came out with it. It's called, I'm going to spell it. It's S-C-I-O-C-O. And so it's, um, it's a product made by a company called Consumer Physics. And if you just Google it, you'll find it. it they have a nice little pretty logo with all the colors. <laughs> and so what is it? So it's a, um, just imagine a device that's about the, the size of the palm of your hand. You Bluetooth it to your iPhone or your smartphone. And there's an app that you have to download. And what it, it, right now it's a research tool and it's still in development, but it's very cool because what it allows you to do is, let's just say, they have a category for apples. So they have a little scanner. And so you can put three apples next to each other and then you scan each of the apples. And most of the phytonutrients are just right underneath the skin of most fruits and vegetables, right? So what this thing is doing is it's using a spectrophotometric scan. It's using light to get a nanometer wavelength in order to put that into an algorithm to calculate um, nutrient density. And so I've been doing all kinds of fun experiments with this. Like I went to my grocery store and got an organic um, apple and then I got two conventionally grown uh, apples just to, for comparison uh -huh. and I blinded myself right I, I just put them in a row and mixed them up I had my husband mix them up scan them it was number one one thing I learned and I've been doing this repeatedly now is the food that's at your traditional grocery store or even like a healthy grocery store I won't name names um I'm still not even getting excellent when it comes, because you'll see a rating. They have a spectrum, and it'll give you kind of that nutrient density, that bricks amount, uh -huh. um, and it'll, it'll show you. And I've never had something reach excellent, so that's first wow. and foremost. I've never had an organic piece of food reach excellent. Uh, and I don't know really what they're basing that on either, so you know maybe that's just a function of their ranges. Uh, secondly, I don't always find that organic food measures higher than conventional, which I'm almost afraid to say that because it's like, how could this be? Um, but who knows how long that organic food was sitting at the grocery store versus maybe the conventional. Uh, and we're not measuring pesticides or insecticides or herbicides with this. This is purely just looking at the, the nutrient density. Mm -hmm. So um, 
but check it out. It's still I, I, very I'm, emerging. I'm, I'm actually looking at it on the net. That's really interesting. It is very neat. Yeah. And it's measuring the concentration of the carotenoids? What, I mean, what's no, the no, it's, it's, there's an algorithm for it. It's not just the carotenoids. It's measuring kind of the sum of the, the various nutrients, uh, the BRICS level uh, within the, the skin of the fruit or the huh. vegetable. Huh. And I haven't looked under the hood to, to actually look at the whole algorithm. Um, but they even, you can use the device to assess body fat. Yeah, I see um, that. Yeah, and I have done that. I, I've looked at reproducibility. I'd like to actually talk with the company more and learn um, how they're doing all of this. But um, I think at the end of the day, rather than people asking like, okay, what, what is better, grass-fed beef or you know, conventional and like having kind of like the general principles in place, but to actually yeah. scan your own food yeah. would be the best because yeah. then you know for sure. And then maybe that at the point of purchase when you're in the store, if you can scan for nutrient density, wouldn't that be the ultimate? Then grocers better, you know, they would, it'd be more competitive to have, yeah. you know, better quality food. Um, right. Yeah. Anyway, that, that's just an idea. That's so fascinating. I'm looking at it now, and they do have a consumer edition for $2.99. That's really yep, great. that's the one I have. That's the pretty one I have. Cool. Yep, that's pretty cool. Thank you for that that pearl. Um, okay, so I was gonna ask you about supplements. Any? Oh yeah. Give me just just you know we're we're over time basically, but you know since I was gonna ask you, I want to follow through. Just a snapshot of some core supplements you're thinking about. It's hard because uh, everybody is um, needs a personalized approach, right? But I, here's my my general rule of thumb: is don't um, start with three and rotate. Rotate supplements. I think what people what happens to people, for example, this this person I was seeing yesterday, she's been on the same supplements since 2014. Her body has not had a break from certain supplements. I just can't understand. I would never do that. I, I'd, I'd want variety, versatility. Because, and that builds, if we think of allostasis, and when the body sees a signal all the time, I actually learned this from Lyra Heller. She mm -hmm. taught me very early on about botanicals and how there's a threshold to where the body it becomes so adaptogenic that it stops responding. So you, you have to move away from certain things and then let the body see them again. So usually what I teach clinicians too is I really like this three-week on, <clears throat> three on, one week off principle. And so then you've got the whole month. And then if I think about, you know, what are the average supplements that most people need, uh, I do think of three things. I, I do think of a, a general multivitamin mineral with phytonutrients and I had the pleasure of being part of uh, helping to formulate one of those <laughs> so I like that I like to have phytonutrients in there and tell me what one you were involved in we don't have to oh okay it's phytomulti okay good yeah, yeah way back when and that was you know gosh we had all kinds of cool names for it at the time like medimulti are we going to frame it after the Mediterranean diet which is full of phytonutrients so anyway um Phytomulti, which is from Metagenics, um, is one of my faves. Um, I take that personally, too. Um, the other thing I think of is um, some kind of fat, of course, you know, essential uh -huh. fats. But I, I think that we don't – I think it's important not to just do that kind of um, – blindly without measuring because uh, I do think it's important to have balance through the, the fatty acids. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. Uh, and I think, again, just bringing in different fats depending on what our needs are. And that could even be omega-6 fats if required. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, a third one. If I get a third one, I would say, um, and I would think that, you know, since gut is such a big issue for so many people, having a good multi-strain uh, diverse probiotic mm -hmm. uh, would be good good to take and that would definitely be one I'd be rotating every two to three weeks ah okay got it well listen Dr. Minnick it's been just a real pleasure to talk to you we traveled a lot on our podcast today from the highs of art to the nitty-gritty of from the telescope to the microscope so all over the place. Thank you so much for joining me today. 
Oh, it's been a pleasure. And um, sorry if I've talked your ear off. I, I just, it's, it's really fun to talk about all this stuff and um, you ask great questions. So thanks for having me on the show. It's, you're going to inspire lots of us. And honestly, I think I need to get this Sio device. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have told you about it earlier. I mean, it's just so intriguing. Yeah, play around with it and let me know what you think. I will, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know. Thank you. And that wraps up another amazing conversation with a great mind in functional medicine. I am so glad that you could join me. None of this would be possible through the years without our generous, wonderful sponsors, including Integrative Therapeutics, Metagenics, and Biotics. These are companies that I trust and I use with my patients every single day. Visit them at integrativepro.com, bioticsresearch.com, and metagenics.com. Please tell them that I sent you and thank them for making New Frontiers in Functional Medicine possible. And one more thing, leave a review and a thumbs up on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you're hearing my voice. Um, these kind of comments will promote New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, getting the word on functional medicine out there to the greater community. And for that, I thank you. Until next time.